He has satisfied your just wrath and righteous indignation towards sin. He has satisfied you that He's enough to pay the price for our sins. He's enough to give us life. He's enough to give our lives meaning. He's, he's enough for us. He's enough forever. That in heaven, heaven will be heaven because Christ is there. And Lord, may today we walk in that reality of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Make that clear through Your Word now by Your Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated and we're going to dismiss the children to head out to OPVC Kids Worship. If it's your first time here and you want to walk your children back, that's great. We'd love to get them settled and checked in. They're going to enjoy their time together as they learn together from God's Word. For those of us staying in here, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. So we continue on in our series in Exodus. So we come to this place now in Exodus where in just another chapter or so, God's going to be giving what we call the law. And when you read when you read through Scripture and you hear the law, there's different meanings for the word law in Scripture. There, there's all kinds of different ways we can think about the law. But specifically what God's going to be doing now is He's going to be codifying a law for His people as a new nation. He's in the business of making for Himself a people. He, he did that by calling out Abram, right? And saying from him was going to come all of his people from that point forward. He's going to make a nation out of a man. A man who had no children. A man who was old. The Scriptures say practically dead. That's how old he was. And God makes a nation out of him. And now two million people are on their way out of Egypt to the Promised Land. God has delivered them. He has brought them through the Red Sea. He's now taking them through the wilderness to make them into a people, to prepare them to dwell in God's place with Him as their king. And if God is going to be their king, they're going to have to have God's rules, God's law, God's codified way of living. And that, that way of living is going to address everything from interpersonal relationships to worship to when to go to the temple to how to make sacrifices. All of those things are going to come from God. And if you don't think God cares about how He is worshipped, you are sorely mistaken. You're going to want to read through Exodus and through Leviticus to make sure you understand that God is very concerned about how we worship, not just what we say, but our hearts being engaged and honoring Him. And He's very concerned about that because He is a holy God and He deserves to be worshipped the way He determines. And so He's making for Himself a people so that they will become a new nation. I want you to understand this. God is not just saving people from slavery. That's not what He's doing. He's not just redeeming them out of sin. He's redeeming them out of sin and out of slavery, out of Egypt, to make them into a people that would be for His glory, that would be a blessing to the rest of the nations, that would be a light to the rest of the world, that would proclaim how great He is. And in fact, at the end of our service, every week, what do we read? But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And the people of Israel are just the same. The people of Israel are a shadow of who we are now in full as the people of God. They were brought out of darkness, Egypt, into light, the promised land, and they're there to proclaim the excellencies of the one who did that. right? And he calls them, even in chapter 19, a priesthood, a kingdom of priests, a, a holy nation. 
It's actually, in, when we read in First Peter, it's actually a reflection of what's happening in chapter 19 in the first few chapters. And, and so over the next few weeks, and really over the next few months, we're going to be looking at this law, at the beginning of this law. But I want you to understand, the law was not something new. The people already knew some things from God that they were supposed to do and not do. Like, he told them, don't go gather manna on the Sabbath day. And they knew what the Sabbath day was. Right? So some of these laws aren't going to be new. When he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, the Sabbath as a concept was not a brand new idea. They didn't go, wow, seventh day, we shouldn't do anything. No, he'd already told them that. They knew, right? The Sabbath day was set apart already. But he's going to codify those things so that they know the pathway of righteousness. Not so that they can be made right with God by doing the law. In fact, what we're going to learn throughout the rest of Scripture is no one is able to accomplish all the law. The law itself actually is there to remind us we can't keep the law. We need God to redeem us. We need God to bring us out of darkness into light. We need God to save us. And isn't it good news? I'll just start with the good news real quick before I get into the law. Isn't it good news that God gives His law to the Israelites after he takes them out of Egypt. As opposed to, hey guys, I'm going to give you my law while you're in Egypt, and if you keep it really well, I will deliver you. If that's the way God saved people from slavery to sin and death, how many of us would have been saved? If while in darkness, while in slavery, right, while in death, God said, I'm going to give you my law, keep it really well, and I'll deliver you. But how often do we in our lives act as if that's the way it happened? And we so often can, can begin to look at the law of God as something that makes us right before God, or at least makes us better than that person before God. Maybe not perfect, but better than him or better than her. And over the next weeks and months, we, we want to break that down. We want to come to a place not, not of just law-keeping and law-breaking, but a place of our hearts being close to God and being drawn to know Him and to understand who He is and to follow Him and to obey Him. So this is setting the stage now in chapter 18 in the beginning of 19 for who the people of God are meant to be. And I'm just going to warn you, like, I've struggled with whether this is one sermon or two sermons or seven sermons. So we'll see um, today as we get into it. Uh, but as we come into the end of chapter 18, there's an interesting thing that's happened. If you remember... Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, whenever your father-in-law shows up with his daughter, things are going to get interesting. He's got advice for you, for sure, right? That's what's going to happen, right? Your father-in-law shows up, he's got advice. My father-in-law is great, and I'm not just saying that because my wife is sitting on the front row. My father-in-law is great, um, and uh, I assume, I assume that my wife married me because I remind her of her dad in some ways, the good things, right? All the good things. Um, but stories she's told of being, in a te- being a teenager about with her father-in-law or with her father is she'd walk through the grocery store with her dad and a teenage boy might say hi to her because she was really beautiful and continues to be beautiful. But in high school, you can just imagine she stood out, right? And a, a boy, teenage boy might say, Hi, Joanny. Son, tell me about your life and what your plans are. Yeah, he's, he can be pretty intimidating. And he, he's got a big, booming voice and... Um, yeah, and, and so imagine now the scene. Jethro, the father-in-law, shows up with your wife and grand, and your kids, so his grandkids, and the, he walks in and he's got some advice for you. That's the scene we have. 
You just shared a meal with him. The next day he shows back up and he says, I've got some advice for you. So follow along. See the advice that he gives now that he's been grafted in, now that he is a worshiper of the one true God. And Moses, Moses shows great humility here because Jethro is a new follower, right? Jethro hasn't been through all the stuff that they've been through. Jethro wasn't at the Red Sea. Jethro didn't go through the plagues. Jethro hasn't been hungry in the wilderness eating manna every day, right? Jethro hasn't gone to Rephidim and not had water. Jethro hasn't been through what we've been through, and yet he comes with advice. Don't you love it when people who haven't experienced what you've experienced, they have advice for you? But all the humility of Moses to listen to this advice, and it sets the stage for what the verse will tell us, the people finding peace. And I think it's wise advice, so let's look at it. Verse verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. So imagine him sitting on a rock, and all the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. All day long he is settling their disputes. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. Then I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. You see how the law is not something new? The law is being preached. The law is being proclaimed by Moses. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. The law is too heavy, isn't it? Trying to always do the right thing and thinking that we can be righteous by the law. Isn't it always too heavy? And he tells him, this is, this is too heavy. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. Verse 23, does that sound good to you? Does that sound good to anybody else? That if you'll do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people will go to their place in peace. That sounds pretty great. Like, if church could just be that easy, right? If, if God directed us, we were able to endure, and we all went home at peace. Sounds like a good Sunday, right? How do we do that? We're meant to be the people of God, right? We're meant to be the people of God, reflecting the image of God. We're meant to be the people of God, and as we're... As we're being made into a new nation, into a new people, as God is making for himself a people, we're meant, to, we're meant to look like this. We're meant to hear from God. We're meant to endure. We're meant to be people of peace. And look at verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, always wise, and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. 
I want you to see today that God, as He prepares His people to be a new nation, as they're getting ready for the promised land, which, had they obeyed God and gone into the promised land when they first got there, is just around the corner. It's only because of their disobedience and not walking in the covenant that God gives them at Mount Sinai, not trusting God that they went for 40 more years in the wilderness. It's just around the corner. He's getting them there soon. They're going to be there really soon. And they'll get to live as His people. So God's preparing them to be a new nation. What kind of nation are they going to be? What is this nation going to look like? The first thing we see is that people of God are a people who hear and know the laws and the statutes of God. What we see is that if they're going to be a people, they're going to be a people, a nation of laws and statutes. They're going to be a people who hear and know the law and the statutes of God. Look, look at what Jethro tells Moses to do. He says, start telling them. Tell them the law. Your job is to preach to them. Your job is to stand up and talk to them. Your job is to make sure they understand the law. Why? Because my people, my people are not going to be ignorant. My people are going to know. They're going to hear from you and they're going to know the laws and the statutes of God. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for each of us. That we would hear and we would know. That we would believe. Faith comes by, anybody? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. We have to have hearing and we have to have the Word in order for there to be faith. It's impossible for us to be pleasing to God without faith. And faith comes by hearing. And faith comes by hearing of the Word of God. So it's necessary for us to be people who hear and know the laws and the statutes of God. This is God's design. Can you put that one up there, please? The people of God are a people who hear and know the laws and the statutes of God. The law here is not something new. God's going to give them new laws at Sinai, but not all the laws are new. As I said, they knew God is the only true God. So when he says, you shall have no other gods before me, they had pretty much figured out when they were in Egypt and God just went about systematically destroying the power of every god of Egypt through the plagues, that God's the one true God. Idols weren't a good thing. Right Now, he codifies that for them and make no graven image, and they fall into that all the time. But they were going to be going into a land full of idols. And God's calling them to be different. God says, here's my law. Be different than the rest of the world. They knew the Sabbath day was holy and set apart to the Lord. He'd already told them, don't gather manna on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath was not new. There are certain things that they knew. Thou shalt not steal. Pretty sure they knew that one already, right? So you can imagine the disputes were probably over things like coveting and stealing and bearing false witness. So here's Moses as judge. It's like small claims court every day, all day. Why? Because people are coveting, because people are what? Stealing, because people are bearing false witness. They're doing all of these things. They're probably committing adultery. These things are happening and the law of the Lord is being made known by Moses. He's saying, that ain't right. God says, don't do that. God is holy. God is perfect. God says, don't do that. That's the, that's the job of each believer in the life of other believers is to speak the, the truth to one another. It's the job of the preacher of the Word to proclaim the goodness of God and proclaim the law of God. 
Look at, look at what he's told to do specifically by Jethro in this wise exchange. Look at verse 20. This is what the law does. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws. The law of the Lord must be taught to the people of God as a warning against certain behaviors. Now, let's just admit it. We don't like people telling us what to do and what not to do. Can we all just be transparent about that right now? Like, not a fan. Not a fan of people telling me what I can and can't do. Yeah? It's, it's funny that the younger you are and the older you are, the less you like people telling you what you can and can't do. Somewhere in the middle, you get kind of used to it for about, I don't know, from age 25 to 65, for about 40 years, you're used to people telling you what to do, and then they pay you for it. So you're okay with it, right? So like for about 40 years, you're okay with people telling you what to do as long as they give you a paycheck, right? But the rest of your life, you're not okay with people telling you what you can and can't do. The law of the Lord tells you what you can't do. And it doesn't just tell you what you can't do. It warns you about the dangers of doing those things. Okay? Kids, don't run into the street. Why? Because I don't like the street. Is that the reason you don't run into the street? Arbitrarily, the street is a bad place. No. Why am I telling my kids not to run into the street? They're going to get hit by a car. Right? That's why. Because there's danger there. That's the warning. Hey, kids, don't lie. Why? It gets me out of certain situations. Oh, but the warning is it's getting you into some other ones too. Right? And so every law, every rule has a warning attached to it as well. And even when God tells us, do this, there's a warning. Right? There's a warning. If you don't do that, then this is what's going to happen. So we have to to be aware that the law of the Lord is full of warnings. And, and I want to make sure you understand this. The law of the Lord, if you were to you were to spend the rest of your life like staying away from all of the dangerous things that the law tells you about, it would still not make you right with God. It, it can't do that. One of the greatest warnings of the law of the Lord is this, is what Jesus would say in, in, when He tells the uh, rich young ruler you know, that you need to keep the whole law. And he says, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Cool, then you need to go and sell everything that you have and give it away to the poor. And he went away sad because he was very rich because he had broken the first law. Right? You have no other gods before me. Right? So he couldn't love the Lord, his God, with his whole heart. So I just want you to understand, there's a warning behind every law. And we're meant to warn people. But we don't warn people as if we think, well, if you don't run into the street, you'll be okay. Now, that's just as silly a notion, isn't it? If I tell you don't run into the street because I don't like the street, that's, that's silly. If I tell you, and if you don't run into the street, everything in your life will be great. That's just as silly, isn't it? So let's not, let's not mix those things up. Let's not mix up the law of the Lord as something that's going to absolutely keep us safe. No, we are in danger because of our sin and our sin nature. The law of God is a warning against behavior, but look back at verse 20. What does it say? The law of God is also a direction for behavior. Tell them the way they should go, what they should be doing. Not just what they shouldn't be doing. Make them know the way in which they must walk 
and what they must do. So the law of the Lord is not just don't do. The law of the Lord is also do. Okay? And once again, we're not big fans of that. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That, that, that's the nature of humanity. But the law of the Lord butts up against the nature of reality or nature of humanity all the time. But look at verse 23 and make sure you understand this. For the people of God who have been brought out of sin and death and into the fold as the people of God, is the law of God against you or for you? If you're the people of God, right, and you've been brought out of darkness and you've brought into light, you've been brought out of death into life, you've been brought out of Egypt into becoming a new nation, is the law for you or against you? It's for you, isn't it? What happens to the people in verse 23? They go home at peace. Right? They go home. Isn't it easier? Have you found it easier to obey than to, than to disobey when it comes to the repercussions? Like, it would just be easier to just go ahead and do the right thing than to do the wrong thing four times and try to make up for it. Right? So I want to make sure we understand this, that the law of God is never going to make you right with God. You can never do enough of it. In fact, James would tell us if you break one, you break them all, right? So if you've broken the smallest, seemingly smallest law, you've broken all the law. So we're all guilty before God. No one can keep the whole law. Only Jesus did. So the only way you and I can be made right with God, that God could be for us, is that God operates through grace because Jesus kept the whole law for us and stood as our substitute and then he went to the cross and in his righteousness and all that good that he had done he takes all of our sin upon himself and gives his life in our place and then he rises again from the dead so that he proves that that payment for our sin is actually accomplished and if that's true then we stand in right standing with God because of Jesus' goodness not our own because of Jesus' law-keeping and Jesus' death in our place, not because of our own righteousness and our own good. When we get to that place, the law has something good for us. Before then, the law condemns us. Please don't miss that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are not under the law. Now the law is for you. Now you're free to obey. Before, even your obedience was as filthy rags. Even your righteousness, the good stuff you did, the stuff that looked law-worthy, was as filthy rags before God. Now you're free. Now you're free to honor God by your behavior. Now you're free to worship and honor Him in the way He deserves. But the rest of the world, that law is condemning. And when we put law on top of people who aren't already believers in Christ... We're condemning them and condemning them and condemning them and condemning them. We're pointing out, yes, they are lost. Yes, they are lost. But if we don't give them the only way out, Jesus Christ, they will stay lost. I I need us to understand that because this is what it looks like to be the people of God. We are first a people of faith who hear and know the laws and the statutes of God and believe that God is good and His law is for us, that He is good to us. And what that leads us to is to become the people of God who show personal and corporate responsibility. We also become people who, when we know the law, we then begin to take responsibility for our actions and for our even our sins. 
Even our falling short, we begin to take responsibility. Look, look at what's happening in the passage. Every day, Moses is sitting on a rock from morning till evening taking people's cases. Like Judge Judy on steroids, right? I mean, that's what's happening. It's just nonstop people coming to him with their complaints. And he's listening, and he's listening to the Lord, and he's giving wisdom. He's telling them this is what God says. And that's what Jethro sees. And Jethro says, no, they need, to, they need some shared responsibility here. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their own actions. And that's what's got to change. Let's just be transparent for just a moment. We don't like people telling us what to do and what not to do, right? We also find it, we also don't like taking responsibility for our own actions. Can we all just admit to that? It's so much easier to point the finger at somebody else, isn't it? And so much more fun. If you've been married for five minutes, you know what I mean. Right? This is, this is what it looks like for us to be human. What it looks like for us to be sinful human beings is we pass the buck. We point at others. We say, no, no, no. He's worse than I am. She's worse than I am. Or it's his fault or it's her fault. See, the world would teach us this. That all of your problems and ills come from outside of you. And the solution to all of your problems and ills, you can find inside of you if you will just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and try really hard. The Gospel tells us all your problems come from inside. You're your biggest problem. And the only solution is Jesus outside of you. You're going to have to give up on yourself and turn to Him. This is what the law teaches us. This is what we need to understand. We take personal and corporate responsibility. And please notice this. When Jethro says, here's what you need to do. You need to appoint other people, other men who will come alongside of you, and they're going to help judge too. The small matters can go to them. The large matters come to you. The easy ones go to them. The difficult ones come to you. Please don't miss that. Some of the things we think are really big Matters are not. They're just not. Some of the things we think, well, I need to go talk to the pastor about this. No, you needed to go talk to Jesus first about that, and then you needed to go not talk to anybody else. Right? Sometimes I need to go, I'm going to go set this straight. Set what straight? Yourself? Because you're the problem right now. That, that, isn't that what happens sometimes in life? Where we take small matters and we turn them into nuclear war? And we wonder why it's hard to forgive? I'm going to tell you the reason why it's hard to forgive sometimes. Ready? Because we're the problem. They aren't. You don't have anybody to forgive except for yourself. A lot of the times we take very small things and we turn them into nuclear warheads. That's what's happening here is it seems like every small thing, I need to go talk to Moses about this while he's sitting on the rock. And Moses has the staff of God's judgment. He's going to bring it down on you. When are people going to be satisfied? Not when Moses tells them what's right and wrong, but when they start dealing with their own junk. When when are they going to go home at peace? When they take responsibility personally and corporately. When, When individuals say, no, I'm wrong. And then corporately, we bear each other's burdens. And all of a sudden, there's peace. 
all of a sudden the law of the Lord begins to work its way through us. We're all walking in a way that's honoring to the Lord. There are small and there are great matters that we need to deal with. Burdens aren't meant to just be personal, but they're meant to be borne by others as well. And so our burdens we bear for one another and with one another. We walk with one another. We need that for from each other. But, but look at what Jethro says these men need to have. Look at, look at what he says. Look at verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, people who are actually able to bear others' burdens, that they're not going to sit there with a staff and start whacking people. They're actually going to listen. But look at the most important thing. Men who fear God. Men who are trustworthy. Hate a bribe. Men who fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How are people going to be wise without the fear of the Lord? How are they going to be able to adjudicate something without the fear of the Lord? They're going to have no wisdom whatsoever. So we as God's people need to be marked by the fear of the Lord to understand the warnings and the way of God's law and now to walk in the fear of that so we can walk in wisdom. And those leadership structures that are set up as these these men take this leadership, they're for the good of the whole. They're not for the good of the leader. They're for the good of the community so that the people will go home at peace. At peace. In verse 27, I love we have an example of this. A father-in-law just confronted a son-in-law with, I think you're an idiot. Pretty much what happened. What are you doing? It's literally, he looked at me and he goes, what is this thing you're doing every day? It's literally what he said. He's like, what is this thing that's happening? I see it and I can't believe it. What kind of moron would do it this way? That's, that's what's happening. And what, what happens here? Moses sends him on his way at peace. He goes back to his own home at peace. He's got peace with God now and he's got peace with his son-in-law because there's a wisdom, there's a mutual fear of the Lord and they are walking together. He listened to the voice of his father-in-law and he did all that he had said. And, and Moses set up this structure. Folks, I want you to understand this, that we as the people of God, God is preparing us to be a new nation and we're a people who need to know, hear, and obey the laws and the statutes of God but only because we are His people, because we've been bought with a price, because Jesus has obeyed fully, and now we are supposed to be a people who show personal and corporate responsibility. This is what it looks like to be the covenant people of God. That God saves us, brings us to Himself, gives us His law, and we walk in it. It doesn't work the other way around. It's not we have a law, we try to keep it, the good ones get into the kingdom. It's that God brings us, makes us into a nation, gives us a law because He's redeemed us as His people. Okay, This is what it looks like to be the covenant people of God. This is what it looks like to be a church. This is what it looks like to be Christians. This is what it looks like to be a family of God. This is what it looks like to be Old Powhatan Baptist Church. This is what it looks like to be a nation unto God with Him as our King. I want you to see this because... We've got to walk this way. And I don't want you to be confused because you may sit here and you say, okay, so I've got to keep the law now. Is that what you're telling me? I've got to keep the law. But I read the New Testament and the New Testament tells me I'm not under the law anymore. You're not. You're not under the law as if the law can make you right before God. 
If you're a believer in Christ who's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, I want you to hear this. God can never be more for you than He is right now. There's nothing you can do to make Him more for you. He is for you. He is yours. And you are His. He loves you. He is for you. And no matter what you do or don't do, that won't change if you are a believer in Christ. Here's the thing, though. You will change. Because He's for you. He's so for you that He's not going to allow you to keep walking in your own way, to not hear and heed the warnings of His law, to not hear the path that you should be walking and not walk in it. He's not going to let you say that because the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And He disciplines those whom He loves by His law, by His Word. So I want to make sure you understand this. When, when a person came, right, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, tell me what's the greatest commandment, right? What is Jesus' response? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love is the perfection of the law. Love is the perfection of the law. Love of God and love of neighbor. So I'm going to ask you real quick. We're, we're going to spend a lot of time over the next few months on this, but just take a couple of the Ten Commandments. You ready? Can you love your neighbor by murdering them? Duh. Duh. What about coveting? Adultery? What are we talking about here? You understand what I'm saying? You can't love your neighbor and not keep this law. It's not possible. How about loving God? Can you love the Lord your God with everything you have and not keep His name holy? Like start taking His name in vain? Are you really loving Him as He deserves? Not worshiping Him and as God alone and instead making graven images and taking idols into your home and into your heart and into your life. Can you love Him as He deserves? You see, the, the perfection of the law is love. So I want to make sure you understand this as believers. As believers, yes, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That does not let you off the hook. It puts you more on the hook. Because Jesus said things like, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, if you speak evil of people, call them fools, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I tell you, if you have lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. You understand what I'm saying here? You're not off the hook. We're more on the hook. Because we now have the freedom in Christ to obey Him and His law. Here's the easiest way I can put it for you. Ready? Jesus, in all of His perfection, is the only one who has kept the whole law. He kept the whole law, every bit of it. And He did it for you and for me, in our place. We couldn't. And God was so pleased with Him as He grew in favor and in stature with God and man. God was so pleased with Him that He took Him to the cross in your place and in my place. Because we deserve to die on that cross. We deserve to die for our sins. But He took Jesus to the cross in our place and poured out all of His wrath on Jesus on that cross that should have been for us. 
and made an exchange there of all of Jesus' perfection for all of our sin. And now we get all of Jesus' perfection because of the cross when we place our faith in Jesus. And when that happens, we get all of the pleasure of God that was poured out on Jesus in His life. We get all of that pleasure. And how much pleasure does God take in His Son? He raised Him from the dead. That's how much pleasure. He didn't leave Him dead. He raised Him from the dead. That's how much pleasure we get from God in us if we are His children who have placed our faith in Jesus. And then He tells us, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's how you do it. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Because my law, while it will not buy you righteousness, it will lead you to the path of love. Love of God and love of your neighbor. So what does that look like for us? Well, here's the thing. Next week we're going to unpack this, but I want you to see it because it's so cool. It's so cool, and it's in chapter 19. And I I think it's cool, and here's why it's cool. You ready? I want you to just read along with me real quick, the first six verses, because we're going to unpack it next week. But I want you to see it now. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. He's bringing them to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where he's going to give the the tablets with his law written down. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I've done all the work. I've done all the work to bring you to myself. I bore you up on eagles' wings. You did nothing to save yourself. I saved you and brought you here to worship me. I did all the work. That's what he's saying. He's going to echo that again in chapter 20 when he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And he's setting up the covenant now that the people of God would know who did all the work for them. Who holds the covenant together? It's God who has brought them out of Egypt on eagles' wings. And this is what he says. I brought you to myself for this covenant. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, because I brought you here and I'm empowering you as my people to be my people, to live as my people, here's what you will be. My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that sound familiar to anyone in here? Every Sunday as we leave? This is who we are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. These are the words we speak to each other each week. Not just to remind us of what to do. We always close the passage with what? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see your good deeds, right? We, we tell each other to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We warn one another of the law of God. We, we also tell people how to walk in the law of God. Why? Not so that they'll become part of the nation, but because we are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a royal priesthood. That's who we are. Isn't it good news that if you're a child of God, 
bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, that nothing can change that. That nothing can change that. Because He bought you. You didn't purchase it for yourself. Because He's called you a holy nation. And the only one who's holy is God. So He's made you that way. That you are His treasured possession. That's not something you could ever earn or take away. That we're a kingdom of priests. That we're standing before the whole world saying our God is great that we're interceding on behalf of the lost, that we're praying for those who need Jesus, that we're taking the good news of the Gospel that we've heard to them, telling them, hey, you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying. You will always come up short. But we have one who accomplished all righteousness for us. His name is Jesus. That's the good news of the Gospel. That's the good news of the law of God. That's the good news of being the people of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You that when we surrender, when we lay ourselves down and stop trying to accomplish salvation for ourselves and trust Jesus, that it is finished for us, that it is accomplished for us, that there is nothing that can keep us from being Your children because You buy us, You purchase us, You you claim us. And we belong to you. Lord, I thank you that this life is not made up of us claiming a whole lot of things because we try really hard. But our life in you is made up of you putting your claim on us. Help us to walk in that truth. And for those who are here today who may be walking a different path, who may be walking the path of trying to justify themselves and trying to trying to follow the law as best they can, just trying to be better than other people so, so that if there's a line, they won't be at the back of it. And help us to understand help them to understand that that line's just lined up at the wrong place doesn't matter where you are in line you're still going the wrong direction and instead they would turn to Jesus we know that you can do that work of turning their hearts because you did it with ours so we pray the same for them we pray these things in Jesus name amen let's all stand together we're going to sing as we go i surrender all all to Jesus i surrender Let's sing this out. This is a time for us to commit as the people of God, to live as the people of God. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily.
Let thy blessings fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. We're glad you're here.